Well, I have no idea what that would have been like, but can you imagine that as those shepherds received the announcement of all announcements? They were minding their own business, doing their job on the backside of Bethlehem uh, one night, and all of a sudden the, the skies just absolutely lit up. And as the text says, an angel came with this announcement, and all of a sudden after the angel made the announcement, there are uh, a heavenly host, and I have no clue what a heavenly host is and whether that means there were hundreds or whether that means there were thousands but I just can't imagine what the shepherds were feeling they 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 saw something that no one has ever seen anything like that since I I, I don't imagine I'm trying to think of other scriptures that can compare to that and seeing something of a heavenly host making an announcement the scripture says the shepherds were were fearful because wouldn't you have been if you had seen something you hadn't seen before what an awesome awesome um, experience that must have been for them to be able to see that. They had to be uh, breathless. They had to be speechless. Their heart had to be beating out of their chest. They, they were hearing of what Israel has been waiting for for hundreds of years. The um, proclamation that the angels gave were what so many people have been desiring. And we sing songs like that during Advent, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and the now and the angels announced that he was coming. The, 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 the light show that they saw in the sky last night would make anything that we have here on this earth to pale in comparison to that. Whether the greatest fireworks show you've ever seen on the 4th of July, I'm sure couldn't, couldn't come close to a multitude of heavenly hosts in the high, singing glory to God in the high, excuse me, not singing. Everybody seemed to think it's singing, it's saying. Interesting, in Scripture, we see it nowhere that angels sing, angels speak. And, and they say, glory to God in the highest. Whatever you've seen at Disney World as it's closing at 10 o'clock or whatever, on the nights that you've been there, you've seen that laser light show at Disney World, it has nothing on what happened that night. But then, after that's told to us in Luke chapter 2, 18 through 14, at then there's verse 15. After we just had, wow. After we just had something that we can't even imagine how glorious it was. After we just had, how do you describe it? Verse 15 says something very odd. Now when the angels had gone away. So, here are the shepherds, they're out minding their own business. They get a big laser light show that this can't even relate to it at all. And then they go. And the sky is just like it was before, and the shepherds are just like they were before, except for some information that they have that they end up acting on. The sky was so bright, the next minute it was dark. When the angels gone away um our christian experiences are like that friends but there are there are times that we sense god's presence in a real way and his and his presence is is so rich and so close to us that we could almost like cut it with a knife there are times when he moves in on us and the hair stands up on our arms and and we get goosebumps and and we sense his presence and a tear comes to our eyes or tears may come to our eyes and we're overwhelmed with his presence but then 
the angels go away. And our life gets back to what our normal life is. Because none of our normal lives are multitude of heavenly hosts. None of our normal lives are hair standing on our, on, on our arms because God is so close and so rich to it. None of our normal everyday lives are, are we're just sensed with the a, with a presence of God 24-7. I've never met a Christian like that. And I surely don't have that kind of life. And maybe, maybe I'm shortchanged. Maybe I'm not close enough to Jesus, but a whole lot of my life is every day. A whole lot of my life is, is the muck and the mire of, of everyday routine, humdrum life. Oh, I'm thankful for those mountaintop experiences I've had. When, when, I, when, when it was like I, God came and I, he was there and I just know he was there. You've experienced those, haven't you? I hope you have. I really hope you have. Sometimes I'm sure in a, in a worship service, someone has been singing and the truth of that song broke through to you. The truth of the words of that song broke through to you and God just intercepted you and, and he, he just came and, and you couldn't see him and I know you couldn't touch him but you knew he was there. Some of you have been in a service where, where, where the altar call may have been given and, and, and God's presence was so, so thick that people just almost like tiptoed out because it's just like a holy hush there. If you've never been in a service like that, I, I hope you get to experience that. Where his spirit is so rich that, that you can't talk about the Bengals and the Reds. You don't even want to leave. You just want to sit and bask in his presence. I hope you've experienced stuff like that. When the angels come and when God's presence is, is real. Some of you may have done it uh, in, in, in prayer time. And God, you were praying about something you had so desperate need. And God met you at your point of need. And you knew that you, he was real. And you knew that you knew that you knew that he was real and he was just, he was just there. It might have been a time of devotion in the morning and it was hard. It was hard that morning for you to even open your Bible and you didn't want to do it and you had so much on your mind and there was so much grief and stress in your life. But in something you read, he spoke to you. He spoke to you. And it was just like he was in the lazy boy right across from you. I hope you've experienced stuff like that. He does that every now and then. It's happened to me Sometimes in the car, listening to some type of Christian music, either on the radio or, 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 or in a CD or whatever, and God just intercepts and intersects and comes in, and I'm weeping like a baby, and people at the stoplight next to me are looking at me, and it's just, God has come. But then the angels go away. Because my life is just not like that all the time, and it's actually not like that very often. And I don't know any Christian that's like that very often, and don't let them tell you that it is. Because most of our Christian lives are every day. Routine. Humdrum. Step after step. The alarm goes off at 5 o'clock on Monday. You know what? It goes off on at 5 o'clock on Tuesday, too. I have to be at work at 7 o'clock on Monday. You know what? I have to be at work at 7 o'clock on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday too. You know what? I've just, I've just finished doing the laundry, and you know what? Tomorrow there's more laundry there. 
And you know what? Wednesday there's more laundry there and Thursday there's more laundry. I just unloaded the dishwasher and there's now more to put in there. Our lives are very routine. Our lives are very ordinary. There are diapers to change. There, 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 there are kids to attend to. There is stuff to do that is part of our Christian life. Just like the times where the angels come and the multitude of heavenly hosts are there. But you know what? It's a whole lot easier for me to be a Christian when the angels come. When I'm in the middle of the service and the music is playing and, and it all seems so easy there, but then I go out and I don't hear any music anymore and the angels have gone away and I'm, I'm, I'm still called to walk in His presence and I'm still called to walk with Him and I'm still called to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And it seems so much easier when we're in here. It seems so much easier when the Christian radio station is on. It seems so much easier when I'm alone and it's quiet and I open my Bible and I have devotions. And, but then the kids puke and Uh, the bulk of my life is, is routine, friends. It has to be that way. Because if we just go from one mountaintop to one experience to another experience to mountaintop, to, we'll go nuts. It'll be chaos. There must be routine. You drive through Kentucky. You drive through Tennessee. You drive through West Virginia. You drive through Virginia and you drive through and you see these great mountains. You know what you don't see on top of the mountains? You don't see towns and cities. Because the real living is done in the valley. Not the valley of the shadow of death. That's not what I'm talking about. It's in the valley. Life's not lived on the mountaintop. You don't see cities on the mountaintop. You don't see grocery stores on the mountaintop. You see a vacation home on the mountaintop, but that's not real life. Because real life is in the valley. I mean, real life is in the everyday routine. Same old, same old. When the angels have gone away, and the true test of my Christian character is not how Christian I am on the mountaintop. It's how Christian I am when the angels have gone away. How about you? How about you? Some of you will leave here and, 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 and you'll go home to, to husbands or wives that aren't Christian. And, and it, it's a far different atmosphere and environment that you have here. And Wow, it's the angels have gone away. Some of you go to work tomorrow and you're the only Christian at work. And Christmas for your people at work is nothing but candles in the window and carols on the spinet like we talked about last week. And you're like, you're like an alien because you have a little Bible on your desk or you have something, a little Christian memento on your desk to remind you of the reality of, of what Christmas is about. And no one there to identify with. You, see, you have no one there with kindred spirit. And it's like the angels, have, the angels have gone away. And you're in here and, and you're with your wife and, and you hear 
teaching and you hear God's word and, and God speaks to you and, and you feel close to your wife and that argument you had or this lousy week that you had and you didn't get along very well kind of pales, but as soon as you leave here, you've got to go back home and you have to deal with that lousy week and realize that the angels that were at church have gone away. And tucked away in the Christmas story here, friends, is a truth that I need and friends that you need is that the bulk, the majority of our Christian life is lived in the boring, the routine, the ordinary, commonplace. And I'll never gain spiritual maturity in my life unless I learn to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ in the ordinary, commonplace, routine. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade of when the angels gone away. I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for mountaintop experiences that I've had. I'm really thankful for those. My born-again experience on, on August 29th of 1993 at Calvary Baptist Church in Danville, Illinois was third row from the back on the piano side I can take you to the place I know I know when it happened you can put a gun to my head and you can go ahead and pull the trigger I will not deny that God was there and saved me that day I left that church and I just knew that I knew that I knew mountaintop experience Mountaintop experience. About six months later, I was at Asbury College. I wasn't a student, but I was, my mom and dad lived in Nicholasville, about 15 minutes away, and I went over to something that was kind of weird sounding called a holiness conference at Asbury College in Hughes Auditorium. And I responded to the altar call that night, and I just told God that I just wanted, I just wanted whatever he had for me whether that was going to Africa or whether that was speaking in tongues or whether that was whatever. God, whatever you have for me, I know it's good and that's what I want. Now, I've, I haven't been called to Africa. I've never spoken tongues. But friends, that was my sanctification experience. That's when he entirely sanctified my heart. and He, he not only went... To be my Savior, he, he, he encapsulated my life as, as, as Lord. And my life has not been perfect since then, but my life has been determined since then by his leading and guiding in my life. So mountaintop experience for me. I can take you to Hughes Auditorium in, in Wilmore and show you where I knelt. I, I, I can almost verbatim repeat the message that Steve Harper preached that day. My first sermon that I preached was at Trinity Methodist Church in Sterling, Illinois. It was during Lent, and they were asking lay people to, to preach on Wednesday nights during Lent, and first time I'd ever been asked to preach, and I remember preparing that message, and I can remember trying to prepare a message, and, and I just remember the message just came to me. Oh, it came through the study, and it came through the prayer and all that, but it just came, and I, I remember just I remember being in my little apartment in Sterling, Illinois, and just shouting to God, he gave me a message. 
He gave me something to say to people. I couldn't believe it. It was a mountaintop experience for me. I remember being in Atlanta, Georgia in 1995 with 60,000 pastors in the Georgia Dome at Promise, Pastors Promise Keepers. And surrounded, there's nothing like, and of the 60,000 pastors, I would imagine that 59,000 of them were men, so I'm not making a sexist statement here, but I'm telling you, there's nothing like hearing 59,000 men sing to Jesus. There's nothing like hearing men sing to Jesus. Wow, and I was lifted. I can still remember songs that were sung at that conference. It was a mountaintop experience for me. I can remember being in Bethany, Oklahoma at Southern Nazarene University, and I was being assessed as a church planter. In the Church of the Nazarene, they had to approve anybody that was going to plant a church and start a new church for them. And they gave you either a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And I, we stayed in the dorms at, at, at Southern Nazarene University. And I remember doing my devotions. And I went down to the lobby uh, of the dorm to do my devotions. And I was speaking to God. I said, God, I don't have to plant a church. I don't have to do this. If you want me to do this, that's great. I, I don't have to do this. God, would you speak to me today through this assessment. If you don't want me to plant a church, have them tell me I'm not good enough. Won't bother me a bit, God. I just want you to speak. And let me tell you, as God is my witness, this is the only time this has ever happened in my life this way. He spoke to me and then I, it, was, it was audible, but it wasn't audible. It was outside, but it wasn't outside. It was out here, but it was in here. And, and I tell you, literally, I, I they stood up, hair stood up. And, and, and I got goosebumps all over. And God says, I'll speak to you today. He put a gun in my head then, and I won't deny that either. He spoke to me that day. And I went to the assessment, and the, and the, the chief assessor, who was pastor of Houston First Church of the Nazarene, said, Mark, if I was going to plant a church right now, I want you to do it. We've never assessed anybody as high as you. And I took that as an open door. <laughs> he spoke. Spoke. There have been so many times, so many times that I've had those cherished mountaintop experiences. And friends, I want you to have them too. I can, I can remember being in ministry for about a year and a half and just crashing. Emotionally, Physically, spiritually, I crashed. Call it burnout, call it depression, call it stress, call it whatever you want. I just crashed. I just graduated a four-year seminary program in three years, pastored two churches as I did that, and then went to do the hardest thing anyone ever has to do, and that's start a new church. And my body said, no more. You're not taking care of yourself. And I literally crashed, and I had to take seven weeks off. And after those seven weeks off, I went back and I still was burnt out. I still was tired. I still was cynical. I still, and I was on my face one morning in our spare bedroom at Emerald Lane in Hampton, Georgia. And I was on my face and I had Psalm 51 out in front of me. And, and I realized that morning and I repented, which is what Psalm 51 is about. I repented of caring more about building my church than I did about my relationship with Jesus. That was my problem. And I went to church that morning, and I really worshiped for the first time in probably three months. I've had mountaintop experiences. 
But no matter how intense and emotion-filled those are, they aren't the bulk of my life. Most of my life is boring. Levi puked five times Wednesday night. Sue hates it worse than I do. I got up to clean it all up. It was nasty. Much of my life is routine. I love my job. But I do a lot of the same things over and over again and talk to the same people and tell them. That, and that's okay. I, I love what I do, but it's routine. It's commonplace. It's not angels in the sky. I think Sue and I have a good marriage. And to be honest with you, after I talk to some of you about your marriages, I know we have a good marriage. <laughs> Best thing I ever did for our marriage is to hear something about your marriages. I go home to Sue, I said, Sue, we don't have it bad at all, don't we? <laughs> I'm, I'm joking about halfway there on that, okay? But let me tell you, we're not on our honeymoon anymore. And sometimes she gets rather put out with me. And she can get on my last nerve too. And the, the, the proof of a marriage is not on the honeymoon. The proof of the marriage is, is, is not when you're just, the, the wave of the ocean of emotion comes in and splashes you so much. The proof of the marriage is when that wave goes out and you're just doing the everyday marriage and she loves you and you love her and she loves the kids and you love the kids but it's not knocked down by a wave of love it's just every day that's where marriages are built marriages are not built on the, the little weekend that you take away and the kids go and stay somewhere else and those are great and wonderful and a hallelujah for them marriages are built in the valley of every day laundry dishes husbands that won't clean the toothpaste out of the sink and Oswald Chambers is one of the foremost Christian writers who's ever lived and some of you have read his devotion devotional that is kind of epic and and in his devotion, or rare, so many of his writings are good. Oswald Chambers says, it's in the drudgery of life that character is built. Listen to that. It's in the drudgery of life that character is built. I'm a tennis player, okay? Somebody's going to win Wimbledon this year, and they're going to have that plate given them, and they're going to hold the plate and hold it up to the crowd, and you know, but you know when Wimbledon was won for that person? It was on the practice court some way back there when they didn't want to practice anymore. It was in the drudgery of, of hitting up-teen, up-teen backhands after forehands, after volleys. It's in the drudgery of the everyday that champions are built.
when I was a basketball coach, I used to tell my player something Bobby Knight said all the time. He said, it's not the will to win. Everybody has the will to win. Everybody has the will to win. He said, it's the will to prepare to win. That's what we're talking about. Let me read you what Oswald Chambers says up here. Now, this, this first little statement will, will grab you, man, and, you, and some of you will push back on this. We do not need the grace of God to withstand crises. Now, that, that'll, that'll push back on you a little bit, won't it? We do not need the grace of God to sustain and withstand crises. Human nature and pride are sufficient for us to face stress and strain magnificently. That's a fascinating thought. But it does require the supernatural grace of God to live 24 hours of every day as a saint. Going through drudgery and leaving an ordinary, unnoticed, ignored existence as a disciple of Jesus. You know what the truth of it is? When you consider success and the world and all that, 99.9% of all Christians will live somewhat of an ignored, unnoticed life as their disciple of Christ. Few people, very, very, very few, very, very, very few people will God will use in an unbelievable way. But he's using them in just as an unbelievable way as they deal with the everyday of life. And they're a faithful, obedient disciple of Jesus Christ. I know a little bit about this. I, I have not done well with the drudgery of the ministry. I've not done well with it. And there have been churches that I've left too soon. Now, what I said was that I thought God was calling me somewhere else, but basically what it was was I was bored. And I wanted newness because it was like a drug. Well, I think God is calling me bull. I've left churches too soon. And my character should have been more formed in that church as I dealt with the everyday drudgery of ministry. I know what I speak about, friend. Next. It is ingrained in us that we have to do exceptional things for God. But we do not. We have to be exceptional in the ordinary things of life. And holy on the ordinary streets, among ordinary people. And this is not learned in five minutes. You know what? Maybe God will do something exceptional. But I'm not sure you should desire that. Because I think that desire can be fleshly and full of self. And you want to be on the stage. Now, as you're holy and obedient and faithful in the ordinary things, maybe God will choose to use you in a magnificent way. But that's far different from me wanting to do something big for God. Isn't there somewhere Jesus said those who are faithful in the small things? Isn't that some? I wonder why I'm pastoring a church of over 500 people that 
I'm just loving and I'm just, I, I pastor, a, it's, it's easy and I can't believe what I'm doing. I wonder, I, I just wonder, was I faithful when I pastored a church of 12? And I did. And God saw, God saw me at, at Macville. United Methodist Church, pastoring 12 people. And he saw me in Antioch, United Methodist Church, pastoring 32 people. And he saw me at New Start Church in Georgia, pastoring 88 people. And he saw me at Bridgeway Church, pastoring 112 people. And it says, I can trust him with a church of 500. I don't know. But he says, those that are faithful in the small things, the ordinary things, the everyday things, the commonplace things, then I know you can be faithful in larger things as well. But if you're like me, when the angels go away, and it's not the big things anymore, I can get bored. The test of my character is in the drudgery of life. J.I. Packard, have you ever read J.I. Packard? I hope you have. Can we read a little bit from Dr. Packard? The passion for success constantly becomes a spiritual problem. Really a lapse into idolatry into the lives of God's people today. To want to succeed in things that matter is, of course, natural and not wrong in itself, but to feel that one must at all costs be able to project oneself to others as a success is almost a demonized state of mind. From which deliverance is needed. The world's idea that everyone from childhood up should be able to succeed at all times in measurable ways, and that is a great disgrace not to, hangs over the Christian community. We buy into the world's thinking. I want to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. If that means one day that I pastor a church of 500, that's great. But I'm scared to death of my desires to pastor that because that could be about Mark and the lights on Mark. And Mark gets to write a, a, a blog that everybody reads. And maybe God will use me in some unbelievable way one day. That, uh, if he does, he does. But only after I've been holy and faithful and obedient in the day-to-day when the angels have gone away. Spiritual maturity, friend. I got one more quote. We've read this five or six times. John Wesley says, put me to what thou wilt. This is the Methodist, early Methodist prayer they prayed. They prayed, put me to where thou wilt, to rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing and put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. I'd uh, started seminary and was pastoring two little Methodist churches and had a parsonage there in Macville, Kentucky and pastored the Macville United Methodist Church and the Antioch United Methodist Church and uh, drove every day, the alarm went off every day at 4.50 and and got up and did our devotions and Sue had to be at work at 7 and she, her work was 30 minutes on the way to school and I drove her to Harrisburg and dropped her off with a school teacher and then I drove on to Wilmore where Asbury was, and it was just day after day, the same thing. And whether it was spiritual warfare or just Mark, I just, about six months of it was about all I could take. 
And I called my DS back in Northwest, my district superintendent back in Northwest Illinois. He's kind of the head of a district that, that helps churches find new pastors. And I called Dr. Crawford Howell and said, Crawford, I'm ready to take a church anytime you want to give me one. <laughs> he goes, Mark, I love you too much to give you a pastor right now. You stay right where you are. You're training. I went to dad. I didn't like that answer, by the way. I went to dad. And I said, Dad, I just, I, I, Dad, I know I can pastor a church. Let me just go. I don't have to pastor a big church. Just let me just go pastor somewhere. I just want to care for people and preach. And it's, Dad, it's just, it's just, I mean, 12, I'm preaching to 12 people, and they all have gray hair. And, and it's, it's, I, <laughs> Dad said something to me I'll never forget. He says, Son, if you can't win the victory in Macville, you'll never be able to win the victory anywhere. Mark, if you can't win the victory, Pastor, in 12 people, you'll never be able to win the victory anywhere. Don't think that just because you go to a bigger church or a different church or that you're going to win the victory. Mark, that's thinking like the world. Don't think if you divorce that man and get another husband that it's going to be any different because the problem is not with him. Probably it's with both of you. And don't think that you just go home and you, just, you buy some new furniture and, 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 and you get out of the, the kind of doldrums you're in in your marriage. You buy new furniture, you take a vacation, and, and you do something, and, but you come back to that same old marriage because if you can't win the victory right there in the difficulty of dirty diapers and husbands that don't shave for two weeks and wake up with morning breaths and the way they romance you is, hey, you awake? How is it, friends, for you when the angels have gone away? I've been quoting my dad a lot, but my dad says, I don't care how high you jump on Sunday morning as long as you walk straight on Monday morning. He says, you can come in here and you can hold your hands up and you can, you, you can sing and you can swing from the rafters and you can do whatever you want to do as long as you walk straight on Sunday morning and live a obedient, faithful, godly life. But see, it's so easy in here, and, and we experience, and everybody's around us, and everybody believes like us, and then we go out there where the angels have gone away, and it's hard, and that's where we need the grace of God to allow me to be a Christian when the angels have gone away. You know, God sent his son Jesus to this world and so he could identify us with us. One of the reasons. Identify with us, know what we're going through, eventually, obviously, die for our salvation. But, you know, I wonder what the first 30 years of Jesus' life were like. I, I, I honestly don't know. I know what about the first night in the first couple of months were like i know about one little story when he was 12 but i don't we don't know anything else about the 30 his 30 years before he was baptized and started his ministry i wonder if we don't know anything about that is because it was kind of routine and boring and every day and he was just learning from his dad joseph to be a carpenter and he was 
hitting his thumb with a hammer and he came to this earth the bible says tempted just like we are the bible says do you really believe that tempted just like you are just like i am except without sin he didn't give in he came to this world to identify with us and know what we're going through and so when we cry out and we've changed the last dirty diaper and that little kid has got on my last nerves he understands Somebody that just sits up in the sky on his heavenly throne that created the universe and has never ever come down here. I mean, how could that person even relate to us? But the Bible says he came. And he was a real baby. And he was a real toddler. And he grew up. And eventually died for us, but before then he went through some of the stuff we go through. So you can never say that he doesn't understand you. Never say it. And that's what we remember when we come to the table. You know, when we come to the table, we, we remember him with two extremely ordinary things. Extremely ordinary. You don't have to go and order these from some exotic place and some weird country that I can't even pronounce. It's just stuff that you can get right in anywhere, any, any block. He came into the ordinary of our lives to identify with us and to understand the routine and the drudgery of when the angels have gone away. And as you come to the table this morning, maybe, maybe you can remember that about him. Because I know you're tired of the routine. I know you are. And you think that there has to be more to life than this. And maybe there is for you. Or maybe it's just being faithful right where you're at. Right where you're at. And allowing God to allow you to be a Christian 24-7. In the small things of life and just maybe if he can trust you with the small things then he can trust you with the larger things our servers are coming to prepare the elements this morning and I just want to share with you a little thought that I first saw about five years ago that while the angels saw an unbelievable light show there's a time that it was over there's a time that the angels went away. That's a really good picture of my life and yours. Would you pray for the grace to live a commonplace, ordinary, everyday, routine, Christian life? Father, This is, this, is, this is so much truth, it just hits us right in the face, and we don't really like it. Because we like to think that the Christian life just makes us happy all the day. We like to think that the Christian life is just one big roller coaster ride over and over again. But the reality of it is, as we see the, the, the saints that are in the Bible, and as we observe th saints throughout all time, we see the truth of the fact that in this world, we will have
have trouble and we go through difficulty, but we know that you've overcome them. So, Father, help us grapple with this little truth. And may our lives be lived with the same gusto and excitement and dedication and commitment when the angels are.